Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Lisa Stone, and you're listening to Parenting Aces. Welcome to Season 10 of the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone. We are proud members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network and thrilled to have you joining us this week. If you want to watch the video version of this week's episode, I hope you'll go to ParentingAces.com or the Parenting Aces YouTube channel. Otherwise, you can listen to the audio version on your favorite podcast app. That said, we have a great guest with us this week and are going to be tackling a really interesting topic, I think, something different for Parenting Aces, and that is what does it mean to be an athlete as a young person and what happens when your role as an athlete morphs and you become an adult and no longer playing your sport on a daily basis, no longer training for your sport on a daily basis and how do kids manage that? So I'm really excited to have Rashav Kanal joining us for the podcast this week. Rashav grew up playing tennis. He has had amazing jobs since playing tennis, and I'm really excited for him to share his journey with all of you and his thoughts on this whole notion of what happens when you're no longer playing your sport full time. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Before I bring Rashab on, I just want to remind you, if you haven't already, we'd love for you to become a premium member of Parenting Aces by just going to our website and clicking on the join button. Also, take a look at our fun merch and our shop tab on the website as well. And for those of you on Facebook who are premium members of Parenting Aces, we hope you'll come join us in our Tennis Parents Only Facebook group. All right. All that said, I am going to bring Rashab on and, um, you know, y'all are still having to deal with me and my uh, technological issues. But <laughs> Rishav, um, I see that you're unmuted. Oh, there you are. Yay. There like it is. Magic. And I appeared. <laughs> see, no tech problems whatsoever. You're, you're doing just fine. I love it. I love it. Well, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. And I'm super excited to jump into this conversation. But before we do so, could you give our audience a little bit of your tennis story? Yeah. And it's funny, I like stumbled on a podcast and I started, you know, binging a lot of episodes and with tennis being a big part of my life, it almost feels surreal for me being on the other side now where I get to be a guest. So this is incredibly exciting on my behalf. And for a lot of the listeners kind of tuning in, 
Um, with my story, tennis actually becomes a really big part of my DNA, even though I didn't play in college. So uh, long story short, background. Uh, so I was born and raised in Nepal, moved to the U.S. in 2006. And that's really where, I mean, we had a pretty difficult upbringing, right? You're transplanting your whole life from one country to another and food stamps, being the first person in my family to attend college, not knowing really what this American lifestyle thing is, all the transitions. And it sounds so cliche every time I say it. And I don't want your listeners to roll their eyes being like, oh, does Rashad think he's in this like very cheesy Airbud-esque movie? But the place where I was like, wow, like I am improving, I'm learning. I found sort of quote unquote my home was at a tennis court. And that actually started for me in eighth grade. So my family and I uprooted our lives. So we moved to Northern Virginia and then moved to like the suburbs of D.C. around Northern Virginia area. And tennis is a big community there. I'm sure it is for a lot of folks listening, you know, in your local neighborhoods. I would really never given it a second chance until a friend of mine just knocked on my door and he's like, hey, I want you to come play this sport with me called tennis. I'm like, OK, I played it on the Wii once or twice and I played table tennis. So I think I can pick it up. And funny enough, after that, I was instantly hooked. I didn't even have a racket at the time. And three months go by, I don't see the friend. He actually went back to Peru to visit his family. And in those three months, I was binging so much tennis content. Like, you know, when you're watching the major and you've seen so much on Saturday and Sunday, you're like, oh my gosh, amazing WTA events, amazing ATP. You know, I can do that. I think Federer's forehand is incredibly easy. I can I can emulate, I can model. And then three months goes by, the countdown is over, my friend comes back and I and I get out there and I get my butt whooped. And that was a harsh sense of reality, but we kept playing over and over again. And my high school had a decently competitive tennis team. My freshman year uh, ended up getting cut. Like the coach looked at me and said, you know what, Rashad, you worked really hard, but this isn't for you. We've got great players. And he was a lovely coach, but I was like, I got to do something. The sport means just too much to me. So I kept working hard, all self-taught. You know, I, I gave the context of food stamps, all that stuff. Like, even though I, I'm so glad to see tennis over the years has evolved so much where I feel like lessons have become um, a lot more accessible to a lot more people with group lessons. And if you want the private route, you can go like all those different things. But we still can afford that. And thank goodness for YouTube. Thank goodness for blogs. Thank goodness for people teaching me the difference between a continental and a Western. And it has still remained a big part of my life. And now that I'm here in the greater Chicago area, because I moved out here for work, it's funny enough, at the time that we're recording this, a few hours from now, I will actually be going to Northwestern's uh, indoor tennis complex because I've got group lessons there. So through and through, like the little kid from Nepal moving to the U.S. and tennis, I, I would say, has been the thing that has given me a lot of joy, personality and just a feeling of acceptance um, throughout many phases of my life growing up. So doing the traditional junior tennis tournament path, earning rankings, traveling all over playing tennis, that wasn't your gig. You really fell in love with the sport, wanted to learn how to play it, get as good as you could, play for your school. You went to college. Tennis wasn't part of your recruiting for college or your decision making for college, but it stayed part of your life through college. And can you walk us through like your college experience going to Virginia Tech and and what you were doing there that kept your hand into the tennis world? Yeah, for, for sure. So 
Towards like the end of my junior, senior year of high school, where tennis was a big part of my life, that's where I went from being cut freshman year to now senior year. I'm playing number one doubles and number three singles, self-taught player. And I'm there competing with the likes of kids who grew up in the racket clubs. And that was a very, I think, from a confidence standpoint, now that I've gotten to like sort of reflect back on those times, I'm like, man, it built a lot of character. And an insane amount of character when you're 16, 17 years old. And, you know, it's fortunate to where it's like, oh, my gosh, my life is crashing down on me. I got cut from the tennis team. Now I'm never it just I, I think it was a very defining moment. And for me, when college came into the picture towards my senior year, this is actually something that you had talked about in, in a couple of episodes uh, before uh, where a lot of junior players oftentimes have that love hate relationship with the game. And I think I had put so much pressure on myself those four years of high school where I needed to win. I had that chip on my shoulder, right? Like, oh my gosh, no one believes in me. I need to win every time. And after those four years, I just stopped having fun. And what I really missed about that, that enjoyment that I once had while I was in eighth grade was just the pure bliss, like not caring whether you lose 6-0 or you win 6-0. I was, and I, it got away from me. And at that point, athletic wise, that's where I actually transitioned to playing for as your listeners are going to think like, what, what kind of transition is that? But I actually played for Virginia Tech's ultimate Frisbee club team for a semester. (laughs) And I actually shut down my tennis ambitions. But then towards the second semester, I had met a friend who had downloaded all the tennis apps, would get up just like me to watch the Masters 1000 events. And meeting him was a spark where I just continued to watch tournaments passively. And then it wasn't until I moved to Chicago that I said, you know what, I think I'm ready to just pick up the racket again. And I needed that time off. But now I just, I have such a healthy love and appreciation for the game than I think I did when I was in high school, because it was more about, I think, wanting to prove something to myself, um, which I don't think gave me the best mentality. um, But it also was the biggest thing that I think ended up growing my confidence. So catch 22 a little bit. Yeah. So what did you major in at Virginia Tech? Yep. So at that point, I was majoring in business IT. Uh, So essentially, the, the major is, you know, you are in a place where you can understand all the technical language, like mm-hmm. the techno babble stuff, but you've got the personality to translate a lot of those technical things into normal English, normal, <laughs> like people speak. <laughs> right, right, right. So that, that, that's essentially what the major was. But for me, you know, after a lot of experimenting and even having opportunities at companies like Under Armour, where I got exposed to a lot of athletes and working in those departments to really give me a sense of real world experience besides just theory and what's happening in the classroom where I realized, man, I'm not that great at the techno babble stuff, <laughs> like all the tech stuff. I don't know if this is where I really get excited versus being in a role where I get to show up in front of others, speak, uh, build relationships and that transition into me looking at opportunities. And that's when LinkedIn actually came into the picture. So even before I graduated, I think I still had a full year left um, before I walked out of Virginia Tech getting the degree, LinkedIn came back and said, hey, Rashad, we'd love to have you for a rotational program. So it was a year of just a lot of fun college times where I got to relax, got to enjoy my life. Um, so the major was business IT, did nothing with the major and just leaned into some of the strengths that I built, which was relationships and just constantly improving myself and owe a lot of that to, to growing up with tennis in my life. 
So I just want to let the listeners know you actually reached out to me after listening to a couple episodes and said, hey, I'd really like to kind of pursue this whole idea of what happens when you're done being the player and you're just kind of a regular person in the world. And what does that do to your self-identity, your self-esteem, your confidence? And we had a phone call and chatted about it a little bit. And to me, it sounded like a topic that I felt our audience really needed to hear about and that I wanted to dig into as someone who helps tennis parents through these different processes of junior athletics and junior tennis in particular. But what kind of made that light bulb go off for you that this was a topic that needed to be explored more deeply? Yeah, Under Armour. (laughs) So I'll start there to really paint that environment because I think that's a fantastic question. So present day today, after working at LinkedIn, and I mentioned this to you even when I shot you the email where right now throughout that journey, I ended up writing a book on the college to career transition, helping college students with their career development process. That's the business I run. I said, you know what, I'm learning a lot at LinkedIn, but I think there's a greater impact that I can make by helping current students and recent graduates develop the career readiness skills to break into these competitive companies. So that's what I'm doing present day. But the seed of what actually started this whole journey of mine that I went in actually came from Under Armour. What I got to experience firsthand, the challenges that can sometimes happen when full-time athletes, and we're not just talking they were great athletes for four years, right? Oftentimes collegiate athletes have been playing their sports since they could walk. Mm-hmm. So they've been full-time athletes for a really long time, are now translating and transplanting themselves into a completely different lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So let me break that down a little bit more. So, you know, the typical day, obviously, for a student athlete, for a lot of junior tennis parents and students, you, you see it on the wall, right? You get up, you hit the weights, then you go to go to class, maybe everyone's telling you what to do. And then after that, uh, maybe you go practice, you go hit some more, and you're thinking about tennis all day long. And transitioning into the corporate world is very interesting. And this is, again, where I experienced it firsthand. I I remember one of my friends who actually used to play uh, tennis at Penn State. So he was one of uh, my colleagues in the intern class. He was like, Rashad, I feel this big void. Like every day I wake up, yes, we have to go and do our jobs as interns and, you know, punch in, punch out. And I'm excited about what I do, but I've never managed my own time. Mm. And I realized everybody else has always told me, you know, mom's got to pick me up, drive me to the racket club. I got to go and practice. I got to speak with my coach. And now I'm completely alone. And the scary part was, and I see this happen with not only athletes, but a lot of college students in general, when they break out into that corporate world is that void is often left. And they try to fill that by constantly drinking, partying, doing things to their bodies emotionally and mentally that really exhaust them. Well, and things that because they've been athletes for so long, they couldn't do right because it wouldn't help them get better in their sport or perform better or reach the goals that they had set. So, I, I mean, I remember having this conversation with my son when he was in high school and he was like, you know, I'm, I'm committed to playing college tennis and after college, you know, this was maybe when he was 15, 16, we were having this conversation after college, you know, I want to 
try my hand on the pro tour maybe for a year or two. And then after that, I want to just fall off the face of the earth and party, 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 party for a year and just experience that because all of my friends get to do that. And I don't. It is. That is such a great point. that you. And I remember hearing that as the parent and going, so how did you you feel as a parent? So like, are you, it was awful, like incredibly worried. Do you understand the perspective, but also at the same time, how do you balance that? Right. Because I feel like if another parent came to you and said, Lisa, oh my gosh, you know, my son told me he wants to experience. I feel as though and this is just my gut again, like I, I'm not a parent, right? I'm probably closer to your son, James, than anything, but you'd probably go back to that mom and say, well, I would understand where your son is coming from. Yeah. But, and then your son comes to you and now because of that emotional attachment, you've got so much worry. So at that moment, is that fear or do you understand the perspective? Like, how are you feeling as a parent at that point? I mean, I totally understood it because I, you know, I've, I've had been going through this journey with him. So I knew exactly the level of commitment, the level of sacrifice that was involved. At the same time, I had two older children, have two older children and, you know, they were not collegiate athletes. They were not high performance athletes growing up. They had different interests that they pursued, but nothing that took their time like tennis was taking for my son and got to live a more normal, you know, whatever that means, um, (laughs) teenage existence. So I did understand his need to have those experiences at some point before he became a husband, a father, a you know, an executive or whatever, a full-time working person that he was going to need that time to sow his wild oats for lack of a a better way to put it. But, um, but at the same time, of course, you're like scared because you think, oh gosh, if, if they have a taste of that lifestyle, like, you know, it's easy to rein in your kid when they're still living under your roof or when they're in college and you're paying the bills. It's a lot more difficult to to rein it in when they're adults and not living at home anymore. Right. So yeah, I wasn't real thrilled when he announced that, but, but I got it. And, and I think it's all part and parcel of that whole notion of I've been a high performance athlete for the majority of my life. I need to experience what the other side feels like. Yeah. Because their, their college experience is so different. Yes. than the average four-year student that goes, whether you're playing division three or division one, it's a very different regimen. And, and the friend that sure. I spoke with, you know, one of the big things that he mentioned, and this is a conversation we got into about how young people, oftentimes we go through this identity crisis, whether it's conscious or unconscious. And what he was you know, expressing to me was that, look, in tennis, when I'm there at Penn State, even in the junior, junior level, like my identity was, okay, Am I in the top six? How am I performing? And now that I've taken myself out of this world and everybody's just sort of working and in their department, I didn't really know what my identity was. Mm -hmm. And he felt like in order to grab a certain sense of community, that camaraderie, oftentimes it would come in the shape of, because that was the easiest thing, right? Because you're 20, 21 years old and these internships nowadays are paying so much amounts of money. So you're making a lot of money. You want to go have fun and you shouldn't like, uh, you know, not have fun. It's not like go silo yourself or anything like that. But he was saying, 
that's where I felt home again. That camaraderie that you feel on the tennis courts, it just comes in a little bit of a different shape because I get to travel with my friends. I get to hike with my friends and I get to go to bars and I get to make memories that I just didn't have time for. So completely understood it, but there was something else deeper too that was just really transformative. And that was a journey that kickstarted for me. I'm like, are more young people feeling this way? Like, why didn't I feel this way? Like, how do we solve this gap? Um, but it, it, I see it all the time in athletes. That that dilemma always exists. Right. And it's, I mean, this is a subject we've touched on, you know, kind of lightly in other podcasts and, and articles on parentingaces.com. But, you know, it's the same thing that happens if a player gets injured and they're out of the game for several weeks or, God forbid, several months and dealing with that feeling of if i'm not a tennis player who am i right and i think <laughs> that's the question and that's what you and i are here to discuss today yeah okay and it, and it has to be i think as a parent and even the student or coaches listening to this like the thing that i've heard from athletes over and over again is when they feel as though they finally overcome that identity crisis is when they fully understand and internalize tennis. It's not who they are. It's what they do. It's a piece of what they do, but they are a son. They are a daughter. They are just a human being. They have hobbies and everything in life is just, the answer is always in moderation, (laughs) right? Like whenever you have too much water, sometimes that can even kill you. So again, it's just moderating everything. And it's, understanding that piece that I think is very difficult, especially for people who've always been in the spectrum of high performance from the time that they were five, six years old to the point where their brains are fully developed. Like that's a crazy life to to live. And and it's hard for me to even fathom, even though sports was a big part of my life growing up. Yeah. So what advice do you have for these young people as they're transitioning from full-time athlete, whether it's at the varsity level in college or at the club level, because there's still that level of commitment there to non-athlete productive human in the world. (laughs) Yeah. For lack of a, I don't know, is there some kind of term that we use now when, when you're not a student anymore and you're, you have to be a real grown up? Young professional is like the best one that I can come up with. All right. We'll use that. We'll go with that. Yeah. So so it sounds like, you know, I I guess you're asking like, you know, what pieces of advice would you have for the students or the parents that are going through this journey when making the transition from athletics being a big part of your life and your identity to now transitioning into um, a more rounded version of adulthood, right? Where you've got jobs and other responsibilities taking over. And And let me just, before you jump in, because you just said something that triggered for me is is the parent side of this. So not only are the players having to transition, but we as parents have to transition how we talk about our children as they're transitioning, right? Because for years, it's my son, the tennis player, my son, he plays competitive tennis or whatever. Now it's well, my son, he he used to do this other thing and now he's doing this thing, right? Yeah. So it, so it seems like, you know, there, there are two characters in the story, if you will. You've got the yeah. student side and you've got the parent side. And I think the theme that I always recommend is first recognizing that when you come from experiences where your child has been a high performing athlete, 
there's so much stigma out there that says like, if you look online, oh my gosh, only a few percentage of NCAA athletes make it to the pros, tennis is hard, all those different things. And I think that can oftentimes scare you because it, 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 it has that clickbaity title to it where it feels like all they know is tennis and they don't really know how to do life. And the gap between adulthood and what they're doing is so big. First, like, don't, don't buy into that fear mongering. That's the first thing, right? So, so what is the antithesis to that, that I've often seen, but oftentimes what happens is both parents and the students don't even recognize the golden goose that they've been sitting on for, for the amount of time that they've been playing tennis, Mm -hmm. which is companies, adulthood, and even in the context of quote unquote jobs, when you think about a very typical average student transitioning from an athlete to a young professional that went through the process, comparing that person with somebody that did high school, went to college, you as a parent and even you as a student listening will be shocked that those students who didn't have athletics in their life, this is the first time that they're getting feedback on something. <laughs> like this is the first time that somebody is actually in a position where they're trying to make you better. They're telling you that like, Hey, you've got potential, but there are a lot of things that you could improve. And that level of, you see it in job descriptions all the time. Like we need somebody who has soft skills and we also need somebody who's coachable. Hmm. And that's the thing that I share with parents and athletes all the time is first recognize how amazing and a head start that you do have. Because your child and you are every day, every waking moment are thinking, how do I get better? And those are the managers when I speak with them about, hey, like who have your best hires been? And this was typically what I was doing at LinkedIn. Oftentimes, guess what? It was the student athletes that played lacrosse at Stanford, tennis at wherever, track, because they're always in that state of wanting to go back to their manager, their colleague and say, how can I get better? And tennis is a game about constantly improving because you're never going to be perfect. Even Federer loses, right? right? As sad as it is to see, even he loses. So for the students specifically, what I would share with them is once you recognize your ability to seek feedback, then the next thing is for you to go out and just develop relationships and find other people who understand your perspective so you can have that raw, honest conversation with them. Because the identity that I've seen as an outsider looking in during my time at Under Armour, whether it's football or track or tennis, there's a certain like unspoken DNA that happens when you're like, oh, like you you played a sport. I, oh, that's cool. Like there's something great that happens. And, and typically those are the conversations where they'll students will often hear go, quote unquote, network. And it sounds like so cringy. You get goosebumps up your back. Oh, so forced. That is networking. Just go out and build relationships. Mm -hmm. And as a parent, your role is now no longer constantly having to be next to your child, going to them. All it does is transitions into you being the best board member. And a board member for a nonprofit or a job, what they do is that they're not running the day-to-day of the business. What they're doing is they're listening to the CEO. And they're taking that advice and saying, hmm, well, it sounds like this. And, you know, when I was going through the same experience, this is what I did. What do you think? And you're you're just creating that frame where it's a little bit more equal. And that's hard for a lot of parents, rightfully Mm -hmm. so. 
but you have to think about giving your kids some slack and being that board member because they're experiencing so many new things for themselves that you almost have to let them fall forward because they're going to come back to you and you can now bond over the new experiences and that whole term adulting, like that's where it really comes from. Sure. Sure. And I mean, what's so interesting about this and, you know, again, my, my tennis playing kid is the youngest of three. So I had already gone through this twice before he finished college, but it is an interesting place that you find yourself in as the parent, when you have been so intimately involved in your child's day to day to suddenly have to pull back and, and, The first time we experience that, of course, is when they go to college, assuming that they live away from home. And so that's kind of our our training ground, right, is while they're in school living elsewhere. But then once they graduate college and go become a young professional in whatever that means, then there's another giant step backwards that we have to take as parents, but it also is a transition in our relationship to our child. Now we are relating as two adults rather than a parent and a child, though they're still always our child and we're always still their parent and we're here to support them and, and to kind of, you know, rein things in when they start to go a little crazy But at the same time, they have to own their decisions and their actions from this point forward. So it is it is tough. But I will say from personal experience, the relationship that I have now with my son, it's phenomenal and it's fun and it's exciting. And like I'm his biggest cheerleader still. But it's in a very different capacity than it was when I was the parent driving him to tournaments every week. Thousand percent. And I think where it becomes what I've seen contentious where like, it's like two, you know, gears grinding against one another with the student and the child is specifically after college, the very typical transition is now, okay, we've spent four years here. Now, what are you going to do? How are you going to, you know, really understand how to, have responsibilities and get a job and pay bills and go out and step on your own, start making an impact for yourself. And it's unfortunate, but oftentimes, whether they're an athlete or even just a regular student, the four years in that university, they're not necessarily being taught all the career development skills that they need. So I'll I'll get to why this matters for the parent in a second. So what that means, the impact for that student is senior year comes around and everybody's like, you got to go get a job. And everybody tells you, right, you got to go get a resume and do this and do that. But it's like, where's the how? Like students are really missing the how. Mm-hmm. And parents at that time, again, when it gets contentious is parents hear it from other parents like, oh, my son, Timmy, is interning here and there. And then the parent <laughs> comes back to the child and says, what are you doing? And the parent necessarily doesn't quite understand how things have changed since they were last looking for a job. Right. Right. Like what is an internship? What is a virtual interview? What does this mean? How do you do this at LinkedIn? So it's like two people communicating by using two different languages. Right. And I'm sure you can see how frustrating that can be because you've got the students seeking the how to, but you've got the parents saying, well, just do that. But it's like that place that you were telling me to do it, that doesn't give me all the information that I need. So that's where it becomes contentious versus the parts where I've seen it really succeed is when the student feels so foundationally strong, where they have the career development skills, where they feel like, wow, I can do the foundational things of building relationships with other people, 
going out and picking up the phone and having those soft skills where I can say, you know what, let me shoot off an email, just like what I did with you, Lisa, and be confident that it may not be receivable. That's okay. If it is great, let's make a relationship happen. And then the parent, what the impact of that is real quickly, and I'll wrap up here to give you some context because I'm curious to see what you think. When the parent sees that, and this is something my mom tells me all the time, is it's incredible seeing you just continuously experiment with a bunch of things. And I'm so glad that that is something that I taught you growing up, Mm -hmm. is that if I'm stuck at an impasse of taking road A or road B, my job as a parent, this is what my mom tells me, is that I just tell you to take a road and based on the data that you get, figure out how to adjust accordingly. Mm -hmm. I love that. And and I'll say that, you know, listening to you talk about this, Rashav, reinforces the message that I try to impart all the time about college recruiting and letting the student athlete own that process, drive that process, because the skills they learn by going through college recruiting are exactly the skills you're talking about that you need once you're ready to transition away from your sport and into young adulthood. I mean, how many horror stories have you probably heard through your grapevines of tennis coaches coming down to speak with the recruits, but what they're really doing is just 99% speaking with the parent? And it's very difficult, right? It's just, it's, it's crazy. It's like, well, the student is the one that's going through the experience. So let's have them give voice so that those two parties can communicate because the coach, if the coach is going to be a large figure in their life, both personalities have to kind of figure out like, hey, is this the right fit for the both of us? Yeah. And that comes in the context of interviewing. And this is something that I was actually speaking with um, Jill Hicks about, and, and she actually used to travel with the U.S. Olympics, like women's gymnastics team. Mm-hmm. Um, and she now like works with like high school seniors going through the gymnastics process and all that. Stuff. And this is something where we're going back and forth on is to making sure that students realize how to interview with college coaches the right way. Right. And when they say interviewing, oftentimes you tell that to students, they feel this subservient, like, oh my gosh, you're going to almost like a test. Like I have to pass this exam. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, what you have to do is figure out and be really self-aware to go up to the coach and say, Hey coach, I read your website. I've watched a lot of YouTube videos of your former athletes speaking about what you do, the program that you have. And I feel like based on the skills and the experience that I gave, I'd be a great fit, but I'd love to ask you a couple of questions about what you see the program morphing into in the next few years. Right. If the student's able to do that, there's so much ownership in that process where they really feel like they're driving the car And it's no longer, like you said, Lisa, you're no longer driving them to practice metaphorically this time. Yeah. They're the ones driving themselves. If they own it, they will thank you for it later down the road. Absolutely. So going back to this transition period from college to young professional life, we know they have, you have to have these soft skills and hopefully by going through the college recruiting process, these tennis kids have those soft skills. They know how to talk to people in positions of power, people in positions to provide them something that they're seeking, right? Um, They know how to sell themselves effectively to a, a potential employer or um, they know how to take in the information that they're hearing from the person they're interviewing with, 
and use critical thinking skills to understand what's really being offered, what they're really going to be stepping into, as opposed to, you know, as you said, a clickbaity ad on, on LinkedIn or one of the other platforms, right? Because companies are really good at making the job sound like the ideal situation. And in reality, sometimes that's not the case. So what are some of the other skills that you feel these athletes need to hone as they're transitioning out of their sport and into professional life? Yeah. So I think the biggest one that comes to mind is actually getting away from their bubble and truly networking by utilizing LinkedIn or other forms of social media to go out and speak with people that are maybe three or four years ahead of them mm-hmm. that they aspire to become in the next few years. Because oftentimes when I speak with students, and this is why I, I built my company, is like, it's the idea of, look, you can give a man a fish who will eat for a day, teach a man a fish who will eat for life. Right. And when you have that foundation, everything else just follows through. Right? And that's what we kind of focus on is developing those interpersonal skills and those career readiness skills. But in the context of student athletes, the advice is, number one, Go to LinkedIn right now, if you can. If you're listening to this, if I, w- I would put it on speaker if you're a parent. Say, hey, like, child, listen to this because this might be help- helpful. Make sure their profile is complete, right? That's the biggest thing. That Like, your personal brand, I know when people, when I say that to a lot of parents and students, like, they freak out. All it means is that you have a presence online. Mm-hmm. And you've built that LinkedIn. And from that LinkedIn, you know how to use it well enough. And this is the one-two punch that I... If more student athletes did this, oh my gosh, the amount of opportunities that would open up for them. Just like how you and your family have probably identified your dream 50 colleges, emulate the same type of dream 50 with the companies that your child is possibly interested or the 50 roles that they're possibly interesting in wanting to do. Now, 50 roles is a little bit difficult, which is why I suggest 50 companies. And these companies can be, you can literally look up, if your child wants to get into marketing, top marketing companies for young professionals, <laughs> right? And these surveys have actually- Google is your friend. <laughs> Google is your friend. It is, it is your best friend. And then the, the key is to find, and th- they're almost always the first or second link that come up, but all these surveys now are so dense because they survey around like half a million employees and employees aren't going to lie because give them a chance to really give you the whole truth about their employer, they will. Mm-hmm. And even in that list, the employee employees are saying, I really love working for this company. So for us in our program, we target companies specifically ranked really high for overall employee happiness. Well, that's what I was just getting ready to ask you, because this whole the whole work environment has changed so much in the last just two years since COVID came on the scene. And we have so much work at home opportunity and things like that, that the notion of job satisfaction, what that means to a young professional is very different from what that means to somebody my age seeking a job, right? And um, I think my audience knows this. My husband's an attorney and has his own law firm. And when he's trying to bring in young attorneys to work for him, his whole approach has had to change dramatically since COVID hit the scene. The war for talent is very, very, very competitive. 
And it's not just about money anymore. It used to be just about the money. It's so not about that anymore. And I think as a parent, the better we can understand that, the more supportive we're going to be able to be for our kids as they make this transition. So here's something that's bubbling up that I think generationally parents are, what I find, are just starting to comprehend. And it's a little bit tough to digest because it's so different from the world that they were used to when they were first looking for a job. Whereas, you know, what you might have, or you speaking in the general you of a parent, you all might have been used to the idea that you come into a company and your loyalty is the thing that society, you, company really values Meaning you've been there, you've done it, you've climbed up the ranks, you've done. Now, that is actually sometimes a detriment. Mm -hmm. So what I've heard uh, from a lot of folks in certain industries is that if you haven't kind of job hopped or looked after a couple of opportunities that where you've got a wide array of experiences versus just one company where you've done the same job or a little bit more over the years, that actually prevents you from getting to the next level because companies realize recruiters, just like NFL agents, like they're seeking out the best players. Mm -hmm. And so when they don't see that on, you know, your child's resume of like, well, why have they been there for 11 years in the same position? Like what's going on versus have they moved up in the company? Have they moved away? Have they taken on a bigger impact? And it's no longer about money. Right. And it's really about what can you do once you're there? And then for the student or the athlete going in, it's the freedom. They don't want a boss micromanaging over them. They want the flexibility of possibly being remote. They want to go to Mexico and still be online and work. Like, And that's possible. Yeah. Companies understand that. I just think that's a tough thing for parents to sometimes understand because it just breaks apart their worldview when they were first entering the job market because it's so different now. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things I read pretty religiously is David Epstein's weekly newsletter, and he's the author of Range. And one of the things he's been talking a lot about recently, and it's kind of the crux of the book Range. And for those of you who haven't read it, go get it and read it because mm-hmm. it's super interesting. And eye-opening, I think. But he talks a lot about this whole notion of, you know, exactly what you're saying, that companies now aren't looking for the long-term job holder. They like seeing the resume with all different types of not just companies, but work responsibilities. So do you know how to interact with customers? Do you know how to manage people? Do you know how to create social media content? Do you know how to sell. You know, there are all these different pieces that come in from having different jobs in different industries and with different companies that the aggregate of all of that becomes the attractive thing. A thousand percent. And I think for a student athlete too, for a lot of parents listening to this, this is how NIL really makes this space really interesting. And, that's and NIL, let's, yeah, oh, go ahead. Yeah. We're going to no, say no, no. I was okay. going to say that like, so now the NCAA is allowing athletes to use their name, their image and their likeness to make a little bit of money, right? Where they can- While they're in college. While they're in college, which yeah. is huge. So there are two aspects. Well, number one, you talked about what companies really like to see, which is a wide array of experiences. And typically you get those experiences through internships or apprenticeships 
fellowships, but typically more so internships. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes with a sport like football, where it leads into the fall, a lot of athletes have challenges working the internships because it cuts short and, and they've got to manage football, things like that. But other sports that don't cut into that, you want to figure out how your athlete can not only play their sport, but also find a way to get those internships while they're still in college that they can leverage on their resume to then leverage all of that experience getting into the first round uh, interviews and their first job coming out of college. Now, let's assume your athlete is thinking about possibly going the professional route. Okay. Or they want to take the sport so seriously where just having internships here or there just may not fit into their schedule. So how do they develop those experiences? I think this is where NIL completely changes the game for a lot of athletes because no longer are you restricted to having to work for somebody else to learn the skills that you just mentioned, Lisa, mm -hmm. uh, building relationships, finding ways to sell yourself. And that comes from giving the athlete the confidence to build their own brand, meaning can they cold email their local restaurants saying, hey, I would love to be a sponsor for our local pizza shop. Here are my records. I really think I could walk around if you give me free pizza. Like, can we strike up some sort of a sponsorship? Right. Can I create my own content? Can I get paid for this? Think about the skills that you learn. If you just package all that, put it on a resume. Oh my gosh, it's the yeah. same thing as an internship. Yeah. And you didn't have to sacrifice all those hours. So I think, again, it's recognizing that athletes, student athletes are in a really incredibly offensive position. The parents and the athletes just have to be proactive and recognize the position that they're in and take advantage of it. Right. Uh, absolutely. For sure. And I, this whole notion of branding, this is, you know, one of those shifts in language that I've had to kind of wrap my head around. And for me, you know, my whole life up until very recently, branding was something that companies did for products, right? It, it wasn't something that human beings did for themselves, but with social media, the way it is, and especially now with NIL branding becomes crucial, right? It becomes crucial to future success. It becomes crucial to being able to market yourself as a desirable quantity to a company, to a business, to an employer. And this all starts again. I, I know I keep kind of pulling back to this, but as you're going through college, the college recruiting process, you are starting to determine your brand. You're starting to kind of ask and answer the questions about who am I as a person and who am I as an athlete? And how do I put all of that into a neat little package that makes me attractive to a college coach? Now you're taking that and trying to make yourself attractive as a package for a future employer or a sponsor while you're in school. So all of these skills build on themselves and help ease that transition again from I am an athlete to I am now a young professional out in the marketplace. Thousand percent. And I think when parents oftentimes hear that, the low-hanging fruit of learning how to package themselves and learn the professional development skills that's necessary to do that, well, you'll hear, you know, oh, our university's got a great career center. And the challenge is, and talk to your student because they will tell you, they will, they will shoot it to you straight, is when those universities have so many students that they need to cater to, catering to just one-on-one, -on -one, like every student is unique, but a student athlete is unique 
times two <laughs> because their schedule, what they've gone through, their experiences. Um, and, and so that was, again, like for me, that like spark where I just I kept thinking about it over and over while I was at LinkedIn and seeing this process where like the, the vision that I have and the business that, you know, I, I've been building um, ever since I left it to go my go and do my own thing is building this career center in a box. Like, how do we take a student, coach them right within six weeks and give them the skills so that they can go out and get that dream opportunity at these companies that give them a lot of options to figure out, uh, I think I don't really want to do this, but that's okay because I actually know how to get any job. So I'm going to take a couple of weeks off and go get the other one. So nobody has to be worried. Yeah. 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 So we're coming to the end of our hour. So I want you to really dig into what you're doing uh, professionally and what you're offering to these students. Yeah. And I think students inherently because of online learning and the way they're consuming content, when I speak to them, they inherently get it. Not that parents don't, but I think I'll just sort of like put that teaser out there. But I think the easiest parallel for parents to say, ah, okay, this makes sense is if you have experience uh, putting your child through SAT tutoring or maybe working with a private college counselor that made the process really easy for you and your child going through the high school to college process. That's essentially what I'm doing. But instead of teaching kids how to beat an exam or get into X school, what I'm doing is packaging my experience, coaching your child six to eight weeks on developing the career readiness skills that they need through resumes, interview, networking, cold email, all the things that we need in life so that they can go out and break into companies ranked really high for overall employee happiness, companies like LinkedIn, Google. Um, In fact, we just had a student that we worked with who came out of University of Wisconsin, played soccer there, and he was very lost. Uh, And then after coming in, working with us, before that, he was applying to, I believe, 150 plus jobs never really got one interview. It's a very like, you know, he thought it was a numbers game, but uh, came in about three and a half, four weeks later, uh, the company that rejected him actually a couple months before he got called back for an interview again, after he submitted his updated resume, crushed the interview. Um, And then as soon as he started that job after working with us um, became like the number one uh, analyst or something because of the, the way he had done it. And, 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 you know, he shared that win with me recently. And then we had somebody else who didn't even have to submit their resume. And he's now starting his job where he's working for Robert Herjavec, who is the mm-hmm. shark on ABC Shark yeah. Tank. Um, I'm a huge Shark Tank watcher. So. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was going to say, I, I think as soon as I had the word Robert out of my mouth, you were like, yep. Yeah, I, 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 yep, yeah, yeah. Did, yep. Yeah. I, I nerd out about him as well. Yeah, that's very yeah. cool. So how do people reach out to you? How do they get in touch with you to work with you? Yeah, so I think the, the biggest thing that I have right now for parents listening um, is I want to first help you understand how the world of hiring and everything has changed from when you were looking for a job to what your child is going through now so that you and your child can be on the same wavelength and speak the same language. Okay. So when you go on Facebook and you just type in career planning secrets for parents of college students and recent graduates, or you can just type in career planning secrets and just look up the Facebook group. 
asked to join. And there's a whole course. I'm on that community. We've got a bunch of parents who are active in it. That's going to be the best place. Uh, if you have a little bit of trouble finding that specific Facebook group, just email me at Rishav, R-I-S-H-A-V, at compoundcareer.com. Um, and I'll make sure you get access to that course. Because I think the best thing for any parent is the reason that they want to go through me is that they want to feel comfortable that their child is secure for the rest of their life. Sure. And for the parents, I also want to help them understand how the world has changed so that when they're speaking with their child, everybody's on the same page. Mm -hmm. And for the parents, access that course, binge on it, watch it, and you'll find all that good stuff on the Facebook group. And we'll have links to all of that in the show notes on parentingaces.com. So make sure you check those out too. Awesome. Well, thank yeah. you again, Lisa. And, and I know, obviously, this was a very different right podcast for your listeners, but yeah. hopefully this is a conversation that you and your child can think about, reflect on, because again, I keep saying that student athletes are in such an offensive position to really come out. And for the rest of their lives, they've developed these skills that most students are just starting to learn when they're 22, 23 years old. But companies like Nike, Under Armour, Google, companies really making an impact are looking for. Yeah. And your child would absolutely excel in all those roles or go out and say, you know what? I work at those companies, kind of do what I did. I feel like if I were to go back and get a similar job, I could do it again. So maybe I'll go out and do my own thing and experience life. It's just, just giving them options. Um, right. So thank you again. Uh, and again, very surreal experience being a guest after binging so many episodes that I have on this podcast. That's very sweet of you, Rashab. Thank you. I appreciate you coming on. And, you know, there's a little bit of method to the madness here that this is our final episode for season 10, which is airing right before Thanksgiving. Lots of family opportunity, family time. So the hope is that for the parents listening to this or watching this, that you're going to really kind of start to think about what kind of conversations you should be having with your student athlete who is nearing the end of the athlete part and getting ready to transition into professional life. And maybe you can start having some of these conversations with them while you're having all this family time over the holidays and get them kind of geared up for taking steps in the new year. I think it's the timing's really good on this. So Rashab, thank you so much for reaching out to me and for sharing what you're doing and the importance of what you're doing and hopefully getting the juices flowing in the heads of our listeners to help their student athletes smooth that transition process from student athlete to young professional. So appreciate it. Thank, thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. And to my listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast for tennis parents by a tennis parent. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at parentingaces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community.